This morning we're in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 10 to 17. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 10 to 17. Our text this morning brings continued encouragement from Paul to Timothy. Paul seeks to encourage Timothy through the trials, the hardships of ministry by pointing to how God has been faithful in the past, but also giving instruction on where his foundation should be set for the future. All of what Paul has to say to Timothy is relevant to us today as well. So as we navigate living in a world that is over-Christianity, that largely doesn't want to hear about Jesus and his love anymore, May we also be encouraged by this passage that Paul wrote to Timothy those many, many years ago. We read the word of the Lord, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 10 to 17. You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, sufferings. What kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra? The persecutions I endured. Yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evildoers and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Thus ends the reading. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word, for your word is truth. And God, I pray that you would speak through your word this morning, that you would perform the miracle that feeds our souls. We pray this in your name. Amen. So Pixar Studios has done wonders for Disney. They have told some incredible stories, stories like Toy Story, Monsters, Inc., Finding Nemo, Cars, The Incredibles, WALL-E, to name a few. One of my favorites is A Bug's Life. As I was reading the text this morning, I was reminded of a scene from that movie where the main character, an ant named Flick, is making his way into the big city. And as he's walking in, there's the, the camera like pans a bit over his shoulder and you see this, this lamp on a porch. And there's these two, probably mosquitoes, it's kind of the idea they give you, these two bugs and they're flying towards the big city. And one of the bugs sees the light and he starts veering off. And, And the one bug's like, don't look at the light. And the other one's like, I can't help it, it's just so beautiful. And then, like you hear like the, the popping and the sizzling of the mosquito as he makes contact with the lamp. Distraction. Distraction. In our text this morning, Paul is encouraging Timothy. He's encouraging him not to get distracted from his mission and not to get distracted from the word. Paul is nearing the end of his journey and he knows it. He's rotting in prison. 
And he doesn't have any expectation of being let out alive. He knows that this is the end for him. And so as he is recognizing that his own ministry, his own life is coming to an end, he is reaching out and trying to encourage his young protege. He knows the struggles that ministry can bring, that the Christian life, the Christian walk can bring and will bring. Paul is intimately aware of the trials and the pain and the frustration that can cause believers to slow down, to become hesitant, to get distracted and swerve and change direction in the Christian walk. In his letter to Timothy, Paul brings up persecution as a distraction, as something that could possibly cause Timothy to to change his course. Now, we know that we do not experience persecution here in the West like some of our brothers and sisters in other areas of the world do. We're not currently in danger of of having the government burst into our sanctuary and start arresting us. We can leave the house. We can go to work. We can go to school, shopping, whatever, and not be in danger of being arrested or killed because of our faith. So true, our beliefs are shamed and mocked in society today, but our physical well-being is not currently threatened. But there are other distractions besides persecution. There are other things that can cause us to change direction, to rethink, to stop us from being involved in the mission of Christ. I'm reminded of Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, where we read, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. I find for myself that it is often my own sin that becomes my biggest distraction, the biggest hindrance to my Christian walk. As I'm running the marathon that is the Christian life, it is my sin that so easily entangles me, that so easily slows me down and distracts me from what I'm supposed to be doing. It's my own laziness my own pride. It's my love of myself, my desire to do what I want to do, my desire to please myself that distracts me, that causes me to stall out. I love me some me. I do. And though healthy self-esteem is a good thing, when it breaks into pride, when it breaks into selfishness, when it breaks into doing things that you want to do, even though they're wrong, even though they are sinful, just because they bring us pleasure, because they they tickle that itch that that we want tickled. And even though they may harm those around you or, or harm your relationship with God, even though they may hurt the heart of the Father, well, then it's just sinful. It's just a distraction. Can anyone else relate to this? Is your sin a distraction to you? Now, sin tends to be an internal struggle, right? An an internal distraction. But there can be outside distractions as well. A good friend of mine, Luke Chalog, who is the the pastor actually at our church down in um, Bunker Hill. He wrote a blog this past week that is incredibly powerful and it hit me in a, in a big way. And in the post, he talks intimately about his battles with anxiety and depression. 
Luke points out how so often we see these two, this this double-headed dragon of anxiety and depression as a weakness in ourselves, a flaw that we need to fix, a reason for shame and for guilt. Luke talks about how he carried that shame and, and that guilt and how it was a distraction for him, distracting him from who God had made him and how much God loves him. Anxiety and depression are serious afflictions. Historically, they haven't gotten the respect that they deserve as the illnesses that they are. The response has too often been something along the lines of pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Depression and anxiety are often seen as a personal weakness that just needs to be overcome. An issue inside ourselves that that we need to deal with. And if someone succumbs to their depression or anxiety, they are seen as, as giving in. They are viewed as not having been strong enough. The truth is that in many cases, depression and anxiety are not signs of mental weakness in a person. Many people who struggle with anxiety and depression do so because of factors that are outside of their control. Some experienced precipitating traumatic events during childhood which contribute to their anxious temperaments. Others are simply born with a biochemical imbalance in their serotonin and norepinephrine levels. Some are under attack from spiritual forces of darkness that may be a bit more powerful than me, we may want to admit. Often, what people struggling with depression and anxiety need to hear more than anything are the four simple words that Robin Williams spoke to Matt Damon in that classic scene from Good Will Hunting. It's not your fault. It's not your fault. You are not culpable. For this. You are not to blame for this. It's not your fault. What distracts you? What is it that distracts you from ministry, from your Christian walk? Is it your sin? Is it the addictions that you feel powerless to break? Is it your love of self? Is it your battle with depression and anxiety? What distracts you? The title of Luke's blog post is Christus Victor Saved My Life. And this is a paragraph that I appreciate so much as it gets to the heart of the matter. He writes, In a world absolutely shattered by the fall, we are unavoidably victims as well as perpetrators. Guilty of wrongdoing and yet also keenly feeling hurts and pains for which we are not responsible. We are all pinned down by forces stronger than us, unable to be free or unable to free ourselves, and we need a rescuer. We don't just need someone to bear our guilt and die for us. We also need someone to defeat all of the forces of sin and darkness and anxiety and depression that overwhelm us. There is the sin within our own hearts, which surely must be dealt with. But there is also the sin and death outside of ourselves, for which we are not responsible. 
There are distractions that we are responsible for, and there are distractions that we are not responsible for, and we are helpless to overcome either one. We are helpless to defeat either one. We need help. We need help. And Paul knows this. As he writes to young, weak, overwhelmed, and introverted Timothy, Paul is well aware of his own hardships, as well as the hardships that Timothy faces. And so as he mentions the persecutions, the distractions, the hardships, he points out particular instances that are familiar to Timothy. He talks about Antioch and Iconium and Lystra. So in Antioch and Iconium, Paul flees from persecution. He he gets wind of, of of people that are mad at what he's preaching. They're mad at the gospel. And so they, they get together and they're like, we're going to take him out. We're taking Paul out. He's done. He gets, he gets word of this and he flees. He hears about the, the conspiracy beforehand and he gets out of there. And then he ends up at Lystra. And on Lystra, he is unable to make his escape. The Jews that had risen up against him in Antioch and Iconium, they catch up to him while he's preaching in Lystra. And they take Paul and they stone him. They stone him. I'm not sure if we're familiar with stoning, but everyone picks up a stone and they gather around and they just throw rocks at you until you're dead. Paul was stoned. They believed that they had finished the job. He's done. We have rid the world of this disgrace. We are done. His ministry is finished. And and those that stone him, they leave. And those who are followers of Paul, those who are in the church, they are devastated. Their leader, their missionary, their champion is dead. And then Paul opens his eyes. And he gets up. And he walks back into the city. He says, no funeral today. No funeral today. And Timothy was there to see all of this. He was there to see how Paul was delivered from his enemies. Not that Paul left the situation unscathed. Dude was stoned. He took those stones. He was bleeding. He was lying in a crumpled mess of blood on the floor. And his enemies thought that their work had been done. Paul did not leave this situation unscathed. There was hurt and pain here. But Timothy did witness how how Paul was delivered. How he was saved. How God intervened on Paul's behalf. And that is what Paul is calling Timothy to remember. He's saying, look, Timothy, remember how God worked on my behalf. Remember how he saved me. Remember how he continued to use me after that horrible series of events. Yes, I went through pain. Yes, I went through this Terrible time. That did not feel good. I don't really want to do it again. But remember how God delivered me in that time. Don't be distracted, Paul says. Don't be held back by the guilt and the shame that follows our slipping due to weakness. Whether that slipping is brought on by things that we are responsible for or things we aren't responsible for. For the same God that saved me when I was stoned says Paul, that same God is working on your behalf. What a reminder for Timothy. 
What a reminder, what an encouragement for us today. God is faithful. God is faithful. He will carry us through. Now, carrying us through doesn't mean things will be pleasant all the time, right? That doesn't mean that situations will resolve themselves the way that we want them to all the time. God is faithful to us here in the relative safety of America, just as he is faithful to our brothers and sisters who are suffering and dying for the name of Christ all over the world. God did not spare Paul the painful experience of being stoned, and he will not spare us from all painful experiences. This is not an accurate view of God working on our behalf. The idea that he just saves us from the hardships, saves us from the pain. That's not, that's not how he works on our behalf. But our eternity is secure. Our promise of forever in the utopia of heaven in the presence of God, that is secure. And so carrying us through may mean he takes us home to eternity and carrying us through may mean he has more for us to do in his mission here on earth before he takes us home. Regardless of how this may manifest in our lives, we can rely on him. Remember how he has been active in history, in the life of Paul, the apostles, the early church. Remember how he has been active in your life, in our lives. Remember his promises. Remember his promises. He has given us his word. He has given us the Bible, and that's where Paul points Timothy, and that's where Paul points us this morning, as we read in verse 14 of our text. But as for you, continue in what you have learned. So before this, he's talking about, this is what happened to me. This is the persecution. This is the hardship that I was going through. So look at that and remember and be encouraged by that. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have been convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it. And how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Look at the Bible. Look at the Word, right? All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Look at the past. Look at how He's worked. Look at His promises. But look at the future as well. Look at this this Bible, this is what we're, this is where you go, this is where you continue on. But as for you, he writes, continue in what you have learned and become convinced of. But as for you, continue in the scriptures. But as for each one of us, continue. Continue to put your faith in the Bible. Paul draws a direct line between the faithfulness of God and the holy word of God. He says, see how God has been faithful? That faithfulness continues in the scriptures, in the Bible. He says, this is God's word to you. All of this has been God-breathed. All of this is from his breath. Yes, it was put to paper by a pen held in a man's hand. But the words that are written are from God. All scripture is God-breathed. We really struggle with that concept in our society today. Now, Scripture, as we have outlined in recent weeks, is under attack. 
And it has been for the entirety of its existence. There have always been people trying to bend it to their preferences, right? We see that with the Pharisees twisting the Torah for their benefit throughout the Gospels. We see Hymenaeus twisting Scripture in the church in Ephesus, causing division here in Timothy. And we see Scripture getting reformed, twisted, and like just, yeah, figured into however we really want to figure it, becoming almost recognizable at the hands of many in our culture today. But Scripture is not malleable. It's not something we can bend, twist. And this is why. This is why. It is God-breathed. It is from God. It's from the creator of the universe. It's from the only one who is outside of time, who is omnipresent, able to see all places at all times, to be all places at all times. It has been given to us from the most powerful being ever, the source of truth, the living truth, the living God. How can we hope to improve upon that? No one dares take a chisel to Michelangelo's David. The thought of making improvements to the paintings in the Sistine Chapel, the ceiling there, would would be considered the height of pride and an incredible insult. We don't try to pretend that we can improve on great works of art. And yet we have no problem taking the chisel or the paintbrush or sharpie to the word of God in order to form it a bit more to our tastes. How arrogant are we? How full of ourselves must we be that we believe that God has something to learn from us? That we can improve on his work. The reality is that we can't. Our attempts at revisions are only embarrassing reminders of our own sinfulness. And it is because of our sinfulness that Scripture must stay intact. It is because of our sinfulness that Scripture must stay intact. For in the Bible, we have written down for us in the everlasting blood of Christ the promises of God. And that's where Paul points Timothy. And that's where Paul points us. He says, remember the past. Remember how God has been active in my life and in your life in the past. Well, Look here. This book has been given to us by God. It has been breathed out by God and has been given to you and has been given to you for your benefit. It will teach you, Paul writes. It will tell you when you go wrong. It will show you the way you're supposed to go. And it will train you. For the journey. The Bible equips us for the Christian walk. It is our encouragement. It is our guide. It is the word of God given to us, unalterable and unchangeable. In John 1, 1 1-5, we read, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. As we continue reading, we come to verse 14 that reads, The word became flesh and dwelt among us. The word is Jesus. We cannot alter or change 
Jesus. We would not want to, for he is our hope. He is our joy. Earlier we talked about how in life we are unavoidably victims as well as perpetrators. We are guilty of wrongdoing and yet so aware that there are hurts and pains that we feel and experience for which we are not responsible and we need saving from both of these situations. Jesus is that Savior. Jesus is that Savior. He is the one who took the sin that we perpetuated. The sin that we have done, the sin that we have caused, and he bore that to the cross. And he died with it, but he did not stay dead. For he rose again on the third day, conquering sin and death, conquering the devil and the spiritual forces that work against us. Conquering anxiety and depression and the struggles that we face, the things that make us victims. He conquered that. And he has conquered them for our sake. And since he has conquered them, let us bring them to him. For though we continue to struggle, we know the one who has conquered. And he is willing and he is able and he longs for us to bring all of our distractions to him. Christus Victor. Christ, the victor, has saved all of our lives. He saved them on the cross, and he saved them in his resurrection. Jesus is the answer to our distractions. Jesus is the answer to our distractions. Let us be distracted by him. Let us be distracted By his light. Let us be guided by his light. By the word of scripture and the love of our father and savior. And as we fly towards that light. It is not a pop and sizzle that awaits us. But the strong, powerful, protective arms of a God who loves us. What a wonderful, amazing powerful, forgiving, and fantastic God we serve. Amen.